Welcome to the Movies to Watch Before You Die podcast. I'm your host, Dylan, along with my cousin and co-host. Gab. And for the second week in a row, we are fortunate enough to be joined by a wonderful guest from the You Are Good podcast, Alex Steed. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on, Alex. We're so excited to talk to you about your movie pick. It's very much my pleasure. And um, yeah, I'm glad you have a place to talk about this one. Once again, I also feel like we have a guest who has a much more easy to listen to voice than my own, which is always very (laughs) typical for me. Oh, stop. Your voice is buttery and smooth. (laughs) (laughs) Dylan, don't listen to him. He's being polite. I cannot let you believe this. (laughs) I was going to say. It's a very cousin-like response. (laughs) I've edited every episode of this podcast. Buttery and smooth is not how I describe myself. (laughs) Okay. Um, Today we're talking about probably the most recent movie I think we've ever done. Yeah. Uh, I think normally, you know, I tend to go with these very old picks. But before I head straight into the the movie, Gab, do you want to tell people real quick why they listen to us and then we can get into our guests and get into the movie? Absolutely. Well, between the three of us, we've got a lot of podcasting experience, um, three people that really love movies and uh, have pretty strong opinions. And I think that's really the most important thing. So We are here to talk about a movie that Alex has chosen and nominated as one to watch before you die. I know I have strong opinions about it. Alex, I'm assuming you do. Dylan, I'm sure you do as well. So that is why we are here. So Alex, why don't we get into this and why don't you tell the listeners what this movie is about? What's this all been about? What am I working toward? You think you know everything about me, don't you? I die, but you're bottom. I bloody well ought to. Bones and All is a road movie, I guess I would say. It's a road movie. It's a romance. It's about cannibals. <laughs> and it's about um, um, our uh, primary character, Marin, who realizes through uh, giving into an impulse one day that she has cannibalistic tendencies. And by that, I mean she is a cannibal. And uh, she has to learn this about herself. And then she's left by her father. And uh, she goes out to find her mother. And along the way, as a means of trying to find some answers. And along the way, she meets Lee, who's played by Timothy Chalamet. Um, She meets another uh, gentleman named Sully. They meet a bunch of people on the road. And it's about all the other weirdos they meet along the way um and yeah that's that's more or less it it's kind of it's quiet it's a horror movie in theory uh it's it's gruesome in particular places but it's also uh very atmospheric and and i find it very beautiful definitely a horror movie that doesn't treat itself like a horror movie sure yeah we're going to compare it now to the imdb plot summary which is much more succinct and much more unemotional Uh, A young woman embarks on a thousand mile odyssey through America where she meets a disenfranchised drifter, but all roads lead back to their terrifying past and to a final stand that will determine whether love can survive their otherness. Yeah, totally. It's, it's also, it's also just in, in subtext. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. It's a, it's a kind of like a queer love story, which I appreciate. Yeah. I did see that. I saw other things for what the, the subtext is of the movie. Some I like more, some I like less. Um, we only have one tagline this week, which I think I've said lately that I appreciate a movie that goes with one tagline because it feels like it's a, a confidence in that tagline. Yeah, what is All right. it? The tagline is, maybe love will set you free. Okay. Oh, you know what? For the first time, I don't hate that tagline. <laughs> yeah, Gap famously hates 90%, I'd say, at least of the taglines that come out for these movies. Hate them. 
Hate him, hate him, hate him. But that one's not sure. so bad. I, uh, I, I can appreciate that. So, Alex, before we kind of get into opinion time proper, um, why don't you maybe, if you feel like you need to, expand upon that plot summary, just for anybody who's listening who hasn't watched the movie. Um, I think it's safe to say spoilers from this point on. If it sounds interesting, stop, go watch the movie, come back, listen to the rest of this episode. Um, but definitely, like, what else happens? What are the main points that people need to know before we start talking about how we feel about it? Sure. So... I I can't remember even uh, whenever I'm back in Maine and I'm back home I get together with one of my best friends and we watch we watch usually bad horror movies together um and so we we watched this randomly to fill in the blanks when we couldn't find a good bad one and we usually watch old ones so we find this newer one but this uh this movie takes place in the late 80s um uh it was, it, it's not sort of a heavy handed, like uh, stranger things, eighties feel. It's just, it just is the eighties. And you just, you know, you see these little glimpses that make you realize that by way of the cars and stuff. It feels like um, a much more regular version of what the eighties were like yeah. than, than like the nostalgic version. Yeah. Then like yeah. day glow and like, you know, it's just like bland. It's bland like the eighties. And uh, yeah, there, there's, there's so much going on in the movie. Again, like the plot is uh girl, essentially realizes that she uh, has some real bad baggage from that she's inherited from her family is trying to get to the bottom of that and goes on the road uh but what i really there's there's a lot happening in there that i really enjoy there's this character whose name is sully who's played by uh by a great actor named mark rylance um who is kind of is her first person that she experiences that lays out what the rest of her life is probably going to look like she's it's who she learns from um there are some theories that i actually quite enjoy that sully is not an actual character it's like it represents her relationship with her hunger um and i i really enjoy that i watched i watched it this i've seen this movie five or six times and so i watched with that in mind and really enjoyed it this this go but i I especially just enjoy all of these, the quiet moments of the movie. It's It has orchestration by uh, Trent, Trent Reznor and Atticus Fitch, who sort of, is that guy's name Atticus Fitch? Like in the- uh, Atticus Ross, uh, I think it is. Atticus Ross. Oh, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, that's is, is, so does funny. Does he have the To Kill a Mockingbird name? Yes, thank you, Atticus Ross. It's um, so funny you say that because what was it? Uh, it must've been a week or two ago on our podcast that I was trying to think of it's Boo Radley, right? Is the actual oh, yes. Boo Radley? Yes. And yeah. I called him Boo Diddley, yeah. and I was like, oh, that's it. <laughs> there, "There is, yeah, absolutely. There's a similarity." There. Well, there's, yeah, and so, so you get the horror. Obviously, I, I find this movie very related in a lot of interesting ways to my other favorite uh, horror movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, but, but I, what I most enjoy is you just get these weird moments with everybody they meet along the way, and I. I enjoy that. I've spent so much time on the road in the U.S. I've crossed the country by car maybe 10 different times, taking my time doing so and just meeting people. And like, this isn't far off from what that's like. Obviously, my times have been less bloody and harrowing, thankfully. But you certainly meet some real characters. And I think like any good road movie from this to... um, uh, the Blues Brothers to like any good road movie introduces you to all sorts of like heightened versions of the real people you would meet out in the world. And and this is no exception. Yeah. My mind went straight to like a fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Or, yes. Uh, yeah. Something like that. Um, 
you know, it's it's definitely something that I I feel like I can't talk too much about the movie without getting to opinion time. But from a technical standpoint, it's so beautiful everything it does show you on the road. And this is a beautifully shot movie, to say the mm. least. But that is very much going into opinion. So should we go straight into the actual opinion time now? <laughs> let's do it. In this critic's opinion. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, I have a right to my opinion. And my opinion is you have no right to your opinion. Let's make it official. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know that there's like much more in the plot to talk about. It's just like they drive. And yeah. then a lot of they the drive and eat. <laughs> it's like sort of meandering. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like modern yeah. fiction. <laughs> it's not one of those movies you watch for the story. That's for sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um. All right. Well, I don't want to I don't want to put Alex on the spot to, to continue Please. to talk. But I feel like as the person who nominated this movie, like I'd love to hear sort of your opinion. Like, what is it about this movie that when you were asked to nominate a movie to watch before you die, you your heart went to this one? I this I don't know exactly what it was. Um, I know that when when we had connected about about uh, my appearing on the show, I think I had just recently watched this and was extremely moved by it. Mm-hmm. And I remain, I remain moved by it. I think it is, um, it's a quiet movie. It's a weird movie. Like I, similar to what you were saying at the top of the show, this is, this is a recent movie and all the movies that we cover on our show are almost 100% of the time, at least 15 years old, if not older. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's rare that I actually dive into a newer movie in the way that I did here. Um, it speaks to a lot of sort of anxieties about queerness, which I find really compelling. It's in sort of being in uh, uh, being in socially uh, unacceptable. <laughs> this is I'm not I'm not comparing queerness to cannibalism. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely also had that moment where I was like, it's so interesting because it it feels completely relatable in terms of like the internal battle of sure. I'm not supposed but at the same time on the surface it's like are we- <laughs> I I don't want to say it are you going to say it like is are you feeling what I'm feeling cuz it feels wrong but it it's yes. it's definitely like you know I I think cannibalism is probably the single most taboo subject in western culture sure. right like absolutely and I suppose at at one point or another, so was homosexuality and queerness. And, and, you know, now it sort of feels like such a foreign concept for those two things to be like considered equally taboo, you know, because in modern times it's like cannibalism is crazy, but like being queer isn't right. You know, right. so um, but yeah, well, all, well, it's all a, yeah, that it's about- to say. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's about waking up and realizing a thing about you that was very evident maybe to a lot of the people around you is suddenly evident to you. Yeah. And you yeah. have to go out and find a and and the the path is very has like a lot of overlap. Like you find different people, particularly when things are a bit more underground, you feel you find different people who operate in different ways, who have different ideas about like how best to operate. They have rules of engagement. They have suggestions about how to and how not to do something. There are taboos. There's this whole relationship at the beginning of the movie with her and a girl um, um, that she's in high school with. And obviously it, it leads it leads to a very uncomfortable and and gory biting scene but it feels like it's leading to something maybe sort of like crushy or sexual uh Mm -hmm. there are all of these 
things that the movie touches on with regard to, and even if we sort of take one step out of the examination of queerness, just the anxiety of being able to like be yourself or have particular desires or or whatever. Uh, and it uses this, it uses this thing as a metaphor. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I love it. And like I said earlier, they're extremely different movies uh, with regard to implementation, delivery, execution, et cetera. But this movie has so much in common, so much like DNA of, of the great, uh, both like film on its own and horror film, uh, best horror film, one of the best films, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a lot in common. It's like a strange road movie. Um, there's some real brutality in it, but they're really incredibly gorgeous shots. Like it's about specific kinds of American anxiety. Uh, it's got, it's got a lot in common with greatness. I think ironically, this movie definitely shows a lot more, you know, I don't want to call it gratuitous, but there's a lot For more sure. violence in this certainly than there is in the actual Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, there's more, which is a very interesting, and that's a great point because it's a, such an interesting inversion because the Texas Chainsaw Massacre its imagery makes you feel disgusting wh while not ever being overtly bloody. Whereas this has all of this gorgeous imagery, um, but it will really go there on some shots, on some gory shots with regard to like, like anatomical realness that does the inverse thing, but still let, leaves you feeling at the end, like a little to a lot unsettled. Although I think I'll say that the most horrific moment of Bones and All for me was when Rudy Giuliani appears on a television. <laughs> I was, that was when I'm I was scared. I'm really trying to unpack that still. Like it's such a specific piece of media for someone to be watching. Um, even like an American time period. Exactly. Like even an American consciousness, because like Giuliani's sort of star turn happened in the, like the early nineties, not even by the late eighties. So like, just, it's such a choice and, and one that I'm fascinated by and one that I, I don't have any, the only overt, like overtly political statement outside of Giuliani showing up on TV, the only overt political statement that we get is that we, we meet a real asshole at a, at a grocery store who eventually gets eaten by Chalamet and he's driving a car with a Bush 84 sticker on it. And I'm like, yeah. that's sort of the most in the most overt that we get. But yeah, the Giuliani thing is still trying to unpack. Yeah, I, I paused the television actually to Google those events to see like, is this 1990? Is this where'd you land? You, I landed at 1990, but I was also like trying to piece together. I mean, they were talking about something that could have been from 88 sure. to like 91. So I wasn't positive. But I mean, initially, to be honest with you, I, I was watching this thinking, is this is this a period piece? Like, is sure. this the 80s or are they just poor? <laughs> like, well, I, what? Oh, my God. And I love to be honest, like if you're going to do period, that's all I want. I mean, I think the best uh, I don't know if either of you saw um Gosh, what's the what's the movie that Barbarian? Did you see Barbarian yes. when it came out last year? The, Barbarian has a shot. The, Barbarian has a scene that takes place in the 1980s, and and it's obvious when you're sort of like in places or whatever. But again, it's not like this is the 80s. Like it's yeah. not sort of yelling it at you. And I really like it when you're like, are we in now? Are we in another time? Is it just like? the middle of the country and it looks to, like what is happening. Yes. Um, so I appreciate that. And the only, the only thing that feels like it maybe was wrong by way of the time period is that the, the asshole in the store um, 
is is asking loudly, indignantly for Lunchables, which I think mm. came onto the market in 1988. And I would assume would have to have been around for a while for someone to just assume that every store has Lunchables. Um, but yeah, so I'm guessing somewhere between 88 and 90 myself. That's good. He was a yeah. very original follower of the Lunchable, I guess. Yeah, he <laughs> was like, I love Lunchables and it's crazy that you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I guess there was an extent to which it could have been like, you know, Gab, you said it might be just a period out of time because Napoleon Dynamite is that movie to me where I'm oh, like, sure. this is current, but nobody looks current, you know? Yes, yeah. Yes, sex, and I think that's a result of the Midwest. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Because yeah, that's the other thing is like, it is the mid there. They like land in this movie in, in Ann Arbor. And that's another thing about period uh about period movies is like a period movie in new york that takes place in 89 looks much different than a period movie in iowa and it could because it's 20 years because before the internet there were huge swaths of the country that were fully and fundamentally 20 years behind other parts of the particularly urban parts of the country just because that's how the economy worked yeah yeah 100 percent um yeah it's 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 so interesting i went into this watch with no knowledge. I actually so first <laughs> accidentally typed into my little Roku app, um, but the bones, because I swore that's what it was called. It was called, but the bones. Very and different I results, was wrong. I'm sure. Yeah. Very different <laughs> results. Um, I finally found it and I'm like, okay, this is cool. And something maybe I had read or saw or inferred that this was based on a young adult novel. Yes. So I thought I, I okay. had very similar. Yes. That's, I'm glad to hear yeah. you say this. So I was like, okay, Twilight kind of like it's going to be, you know, this girl's on her own or she's lonely in school and she's going to make some friends, but they're going to turn on her. And I was kind of along for the ride. <laughs> and then she just bit this girl. And I was like, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And I, I, I honestly, and it's funny, and I'll I'll give you context, Alex. We did a watch of the Lovely Bones not mm, too long ago, sure. which um, I had memories of being a good movie, and we immediately decided was not a great movie. <laughs> but Stanley Tucci did a good job and deserved of his course. Oscar nomination for we that. Love <laughs> but I had famously said in that episode over and over and over again, I want to see a murder. I want to see this little girl get sexually assaulted. Like there's no depiction of this horrible tragedy. Yeah. So how am I to believe it happened? And oh my God, I was like, well, I finally got what I wanted because <laughs> I have seen so much gore and so many murders. And I, I actually started to feel kind of nauseous and sure. it had this effect on me where I was like physically ill and mm -hmm. you know I'm I'm not that type of of person who's very dramatic. I frequently say that like horror movies don't bother me because I worked in the industry. I'm too familiar with the practices. It's also very cliché, you know, blah blah blah, but this really like really affected me. And <laughs> I almost think maybe a second watch where I'm less distracted by yeah. how like I thought this was going to be Twilight and it was, sure. it was so Very not, not. <laughs> but there is something that is really deeply unsettling about it that, you know, at the end of the day, when we're talking about art, like it, it should leave a lasting impact. It should affect you. And this really, really did <laughs> like really did. 
still, I mean, what do you think? It feels like if Twilight was directed by like David Cronenberg, because it is still very <laughs> Twilighty, but it has this very practical gore element to it. And I, I love practical effects. I'm the guy who suggested the thing on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I do constant movies where I try and get Gab to love practical effects and she keeps turning them down, which is no, very it's, stressful it's, to me. It's growing on me slowly. Well, that's good. <laughs> But Slowly. still, the fact that the thing was not a movie to watch before you die consensus very upsetting to me, Alex. Um, <laughs> but I I do feel like while I very technically connected with it, and I connected with it in some ways, but in some ways I I just wasn't vibing with the lead performances for me. Sure, and I think maybe that's the way they're written that I wasn't. It felt very understated. And that's mm-hmm. not necessarily a bad thing, but I think that it just didn't grab me because of how understated it was. Mm-hmm. I think after the movie, well, first Gab went, I think it was a very, you know, you said queer subtextually film. And I was like, I don't think that's what it's about. Immediately to be like, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> and I do feel like once I saw um, an interview, I think it was with Timothy Chalamet, who was saying to him what the character's cannibalism was about was uh, trauma and dealing with demons that you can't comprehend and addiction and when i put it through that lens i was like oh i definitely vibe with that a bit more i see that a bit more i get that the parents having a hard time raising that child a bit more Mm -hmm. um i get that the mother feeling like she might have passed that down and having a generational trauma sure that all i was like oh i i i get that more and that gave me a greater appreciation certainly i will say and i feel like this is my my hot take is i i might have even said this before timothy chalamet i kind of don't get the super hype. <laughs> I agree. You know what I mean? I'm like, he's fine. Well, it's so funny because this was the old, outside of Beautiful Boy, which I loved, and Beautiful Boy is about addiction. And Timothy Chalamet is, is as a person who has had their ups and downs in that arena, Timothy Chalamet uh, delivered in that movie. Um, but I, I feel similarly, and I think like part of what struck me about this movie, and I, I we probably have the uh, the opposite reactions to him in this movie. But I was like, oh, this helps me get him in a way where other movies, I was like, what is he? What exactly is he doing? Like, what? Is, <laughs> yeah. What is his role here? And and I and I kind of appreciate that about him. Um. Um. But yeah, this was like one of the first movies where I saw him. I was like, I get it. But I think that I do think that you're right uh, with regard to the 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 minimalism or the the kind of like light touch or I don't know how how exactly you describe it. But th- there is an understated um, aspect to how they are acting, which which you see in contrast, particularly when they're with the stronger characters like Sully, who is just like Sully might be one of my favorite villains of all time in any movie, whether or not he is her in her imagination or real. I love him. And then um, um and then you get Francesca Scorsese, who is not an actress, I will say, based on what we see on screen. She plays his sister. Um, oh my God. Uh, not not an actress, but but I appreciate that she's there doing it. <laughs> Wait, I don't think that I... is Francesca Scorsese. That is not? Yeah, I believe it is. According to IMDb, it was Anna Cobb. I Wait, think Francesca is... Scorsese I'd read had a role that was cut or something oh like that. Oh my God. Okay, I'm glad that you oh. said that because this entire time... I, based on whatever on IMDb or, or cast, I, this entire time I have thought that was Francesca Scorsese. Well, ironically, it, it's funny you say 
Francesca Scorsese, who is not an actress, because I think Gab and I both had a similar reaction of like, she's doing, <laughs> she's kind of doing the least to us because it feels like they're, when I look at the actors in this movie, you you know, the experience that comes from Mark Rylance, you know, the instant comparison I think of is there's two moments that people have these stutters in mm-hmm. and Mark Rylance has this stuttering moment, but it feels like you're watching Sully stutter. And the yes. sister has a stuttering moment, and I'm like, did they just not get a second take of this where she didn't yes. stutter? Because that's what it felt like to me. It felt like it was just the actress making that mistake, not Kayla making that mistake. Yeah. And maybe that's just me giving more credit to Mark Rylance as an actor, you know, subconsciously. But Mark Rylance and Michael Stuhlberg, I think is his name, who shows up in one scene as Jake, the, you know, who you will better remember as oh. man in overalls who is not clothed otherwise. Oh, yes. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yes, yeah. agree. Agree. Yeah, Menacing. that was a great performance. But I did I did have to pause the movie when the sister first came in and was all upset that he was leaving again and I was like this is this is not good. Yeah, She's no, her, so bad. I, and I don't and I I whatever. I I wouldn't be great uh in this situation. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I don't know. I'm trying to knowing whatever stuff gets back to people. I don't but I, I it's not it feels like a little bit like she's in a different movie. And I yes. couldn't again like I was like, was this just was this a disorienting choice? Was this what I I did not know. She my only criticism of this movie, um my my only criticism of this movie is that is in context of everyone else like kind of a weak Yes. Portrayal. And it just felt like, you know, I always say that really good acting is like looking through a window, right? Like you're seeing what's beyond the window and bad acting is like a dirty window where you see the fingerprints and it's hard to see what's through on the other side because you're so distracted by what's on the window. And it it felt almost like she was delivering a performance that was like stained glass where it's like (laughs) meant you're meant to see the window and not what's through it. And it was like, this is such a strong choice, but why? (laughs) Well, and and, and it reflects that her context gives, there are times where you can tell that Chalamet is, is acting in context of being with her and like yes. his acting is kind of brought down a little bit because of, yes. because of sort of like the cadence of their exchange. But, but overall, I mean, o- overall, what I, what I enjoy most about this is like as a package um, I left. And when I think about movies like art, especially, and I don't mean to get on a soapbox or whatever, but like, especially when there are these conversations that I never know if they're actual conversations that that with regard to sort of the source material or if it's people having conversations about what they believe are conversations. But this whole idea that younger people don't like seeing sex in movies or they don't like particular things that are challenging in particular or whatever. Like, I like that this is a movie that is also art and it's art evidenced by the fact that I could not stop thinking about it after the fact. Like it stirred something in me it unsettled something in me in a way where i was like i need more of that so i can understand it more and i'm five viewings in and i still feel that way yeah that's uh that reminds me a lot of how we felt about vampire's kiss have you ever seen that movie i've never seen with, that with nicholas cage I've highly recommend highly recommend it uh i couldn't i couldn't move forward. i needed my boyfriend to watch it with me i was like i can't live in a world where you have not seen this because i need to talk to you about it we had to do a whole new episode where we changed our <laughs> our standing on it um 
it just really stuck with you. But I think for me, this movie, it 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 had all the components of a young adult sort of coming of age, um, you know, learning who you are and learning to be okay with that. And all of the makings of a gory horror thriller sort of like melodrama. Mm -hmm. And the way that those two worlds kind of came together for me, all it it essentially like, I don't want to say it didn't work because Mm -hmm. it did, but it, it was so unsettling that I didn't feel like I never got relief, you know, like it, the way that the film ended, which I don't know if we really want to get into that. I'll, I'll leave that up to you too. But the way that it ended did not leave me feeling at all. And I don't even mean uplifted, right? Because there are plenty of incredible films that leave you feeling sad or scared or, you know, unsettled, but this truly felt like, I, f- I felt worse <laughs> than I did at any point before. Um, and I don't know if we want to get into that, obviously spoilers, That's but so I, I was it's like, definitely not uplifting. She's right. Alex. <laughs> I, I just, it's felt so cause like, this movie is like, I'm like, I like, I feel better after watching, <laughs> but I get it. I, I get it. In t- I get what you're saying entirely. Like yeah. I, if, I, if ever I saw someone was like speed bones and it would come with so many disclaimers. Like I'd be like, you know, if you, if you enjoy being unsettled, this is the way to go. Or yeah. like, or the gore isn't even just gore. It's like anatomically correct gore, which makes it yes. even more difficult. Like all of those things. Yeah. I would give maybe a page and a half of disclaimers before I strongly encouraged a person to watch. Them. Yes. <laughs> and the funny thing is, disclaimers, Alex. <laughs> I am notorious for missing subtext and I feel like I nailed the subtext and I was still like, uh, like I was alone and I was like kind of oh, sick to sure. my stomach and I was like, when is, is somebody coming home? Like I need an adult. <laughs> oh oh God. God. Well, I feel honored that I was able to to facilitate those feelings for you too. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's definitely one of those movies that I will probably never stop thinking about. And I will continue to ask people, Hey, do you ever see this movie? Cause what we can talk about it. Yeah. It's funny though. Cause saying that is such a positive thing to say about it, that it's like, you know what? It's never going to leave my mind. Um, but it definitely, it didn't have that same effect on me because mm-hmm. I, I am somebody who, like I said, I've watched so many gory whatever it is you know i feel like the the last thing i saw anything from that really affected me like that was like bone tomahawk and that was mm. like i don't know if either of you know bone tomahawk I ha- yes i know that well it is the most grotesque gratuitous violence you can think of you know what i mean like people being bifurcated um yeah i i i just think it's funny because i know you guys just recently did american psycho which is a movie i love 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 Um, and that's a movie that is filled with violence but it's done in such a entertaining to you way and this movie is filled with violence but it's so somber and as gab's described not uplifting not uplifting i i think it's definitely tough because underneath they're very different movies like patrick bateman were never meant to sympathize with his otherness which is i guess you know at the end of the day what you're supposed to be doing with this movie there's no romance mm. to Patrick Bateman. The only real connection between the two is Chloe Savini. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, they share they share her in common. Yeah, but 
I, I feel so bad because I feel like we're describing so many good things about it. And I'm like, it just wasn't the vibe. That's okay. The That's okay if you didn't there. like it. <laughs> but it is funny. I do feel like what Gab said. I'm like, but I definitely thought a lot about it, which definitely yeah. speaks to a quality that is very important in a movie. Did it leave you thinking about it? Because there are movies well, that entertain you that leave you immediately well that's the yeah. thing i think that that's specifically the thing you, you said it you said it perfectly and i'm not this isn't the, the the pitch for it but there's so much art i love that i don't want in my house you know there's yeah. so much art that yep. i'm like i holy shit that's amazing i understand the whole thing i get it i'm not hanging it in my living room yeah. Um, but because the hanging in your living room part is like entertainment, the appreciating art part is appreciating art. And is this movie like an inherently a like broadly entertaining movie? I don't probably not like pro probably big no. Um, but did it accomplish things in a way that even some of the most entertaining movies I've seen this year um, um, did not? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it, it it sits with me. It lives with me in a way that like movies that like. I love the nice guys every time a week later. I can't tell you what happens in it. The piece of art that this immediately makes me think of is, I don't know if either of you know it by name, Saturn devouring his son. Do you of guys course, know what yeah. that painting is? Gab, do of you know? Uh, let me Google it. Keep I recommend you'll, a quick Google. You'll so recognize it for sure. <laughs> Saturn devouring his son is one of those things that every time I do somehow come across it, I stare at it and I'm like, this is so freaky. And I've like read the story behind the guy who like lived in isolation and he like died with the painting in his home or something like that. And it's exactly what you're saying. Would never want it hanging in my house, but I'm endlessly fascinated by looking at it. Oh, yeah, ex exactly. You, it's, Gab's looking at it now. I heard the oh boy. Why are his Dude, pants yeah. down? It's that's that's your objection. I mean, listen, I did watch the movie. Like, oh, there are so many versions of it. I've seen um, people with this as a uh, phone case, and I <gasps> and I'm like, this is someone I enjoy. This is a real weirdo. I like that. Yeah, that you've got to be a very specific crazy. person to be like, let me show off this. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Every time I'm taking a call, let me put this in the public. Yeah, honestly. Wow. And you know, there's some um, kid yeah. next to that person in the grocery line seeing that for the first time. Like, <laughs> what, the, what? what is that? What is that, mom? <laughs> honestly. Oh. That's so funny. Yeah. I, I think. I think context is everything. And so I think not understanding what it was that I was going to be seeing kind of had an impact. But I also think it was sincerely a haunting piece of art that did not, for me, even like there was no summation of the events. There was no period at the end of the <laughs> sentence. There was no end. It was like I, I felt so just absolutely haunted for the rest of the night and part of today. And then the research I did before this brought me right back. Didn't help you. You know what? I, you know <laughs> what I like the most about it in a way is like most coming of age movies are like, and then they have a, they have a very definite period at the end, like, and th this happened and then it was whatever. And that is not how life works. Like what happens is you like transition to another phase while some other phase is happening. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of go like phase to phase. It's not like, unless a, unless a super dire thing happens, like you have to sure. eat your partner. Uh, <laughs> uh, unless a super dire thing happens, like, yes, we, we know. And that's kind of how I feel about adolescence is like what this did really well in capturing like what adolescence is like is 
everything is nothing until it's something. And then when it's something, it's everything. And Mm. I transitioned out of that without ever knowing I transitioned out of it because suddenly I was just in a new phase. Um, um, and, and, you know, you're out of, you only kind of realize when you're out of your adolescence or out of your teens in retrospect, when you're mourning that it's gone, it's not like one day it's over and then you're like, whatever. And that's kind of what I enjoy about what this does is there's no like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that this is what anyone's looking for in a coming of age movie. And I'm not even saying this is a coming of age movie, but there isn't that end of like the breakfast club with Bender sort of putting his hand up in the air and they play the music or whatever. It's just like, well, on to the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I kind of love that description too. of adolescence you just gave. <laughs> because first of all, that's exactly what this movie feels like. And that is exactly, I feel like we've said it before on the podcast, a much clunkier way of saying that. Where we've been like, yeah. yeah, at the time, everything felt like it was the most important thing in the world. And I feel like that sums it up so nicely into a sentence. And yeah, that is what it feels like is going on in this movie to a very certain extent. And it is such an abrupt ending that I now want to see with Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. <laughs> <laughs> or are you familiar with the Walk of Life project? There's a there was a great this was years ago. There was a great Tumblr. This is how long ago it is. It's Tumblr. But there was a great Tumblr that added the dire straight song walk of life to the end of every movie okay. and <laughs> so like the, the closing minute and a half and they add it and it's it's funny because it works literally every time it's like the best piece of punctuation to put on a movie but this would be perfect for that or 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 that or or even like this a movie that has kind of a this movie has more of a of a structure and a, a syntax and series of punctuation than one of again one of what i think is the best movies ever made dazed and confused but what dazed and confused has at the end of it is playing tuesday's gone um uh by by leonard skinnard and you feel like the movie's over this just has like trent and atticus's weird drone and then credits and then you're like what the fuck just happened yeah <laughs> i also feel like in keeping with that trend you were talking about with dire straits i'm also now picturing the the lincoln park from the end of transformers song at the end of this yeah. <laughs> and just what i've done after she's spoiler spoilers eaten chalamet oh yes, my god please. so oh, that please. actually makes me want to bring up a point so alex i have a friend named scott and okay. scott is very into all all of this stuff and by all of this stuff i mean anything that is somehow related to like anything that that comes from this sort of young adult genre um he'll hate me for saying that but for our purposes that's how i feel about it and so i texted him after i watched this movie and i said have you seen bones and all with timothy chalamet and he said of course i saw it twice in the movie theaters and i said okay of course you did and then i said I, 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 you know, I don't remember exactly, but something about I, I'm like nauseous. I can't believe I just watched this. Like, what, what are your thoughts? And he said, I can't believe you're nauseous. Um, what could be more romantic than eating the person you love, yeah. bones and all? Absolutely. And I, I don't agree, but I get what he's saying. Yeah, I'm like, okay, how about not? I appreciate them? that. <laughs> I'm like, literally yeah. anything else. I'm like, I don't know. I would love a child, maybe. That feels like the opposite, <laughs> right? Like, what are you talking? about i tell my wife on a daily basis don't eat me (laughs) (laughs) i know you love me please don't i know i'm like god like damn near anything else um you know i'd love an engagement ring i don't know about (laughs) that but i think 
I, I, I'm just wondering your thoughts on like, that feels like an oversimplification, of course, but like, to me, there was nothing romantic about it, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just so well, I haunted think so, by the imagery. So let me, so there's two takes, right? One, yeah. one, well, I'm sure there's many takes, but one take is if Sully is a real character, a real person in this universe, that is not sort of a, an embodiment of her desire and hunger. Uh-huh. Um, she doesn't eat her partner unprompted, right? Like she, he gets, he gets stabbed and he's actively dying. And like, even if they call paramedics, he's stabbed through the lung, he's dead. So, so what happens is this very adolescent um, um, imagination of what is beautiful, which is we are going to be together forever. Like you, all you want as a kid with your dumb high school relationship that you think is so fucking important. And it's absolutely not. It's a waste of your time to Take your high school relationship into college because you think this is going to last forever. For example, I'm I'm just giving advice to any which, of your 17 year olds listening. By the uh, way, was me with Scott, which is of, what is so hilarious. Of course, same. <laughs> I was like, this is so important. This is the most important love of it, and it's not. Um, right. um, so, but the idea that like you can then be a part of each other's lives forever—that's that. It's not like she murdered him. She's she's acting on the fact that he's dying, and rather than them being separate, him in the ground, he's a part of her. Symbolically, great. Yeah. The other take is Which if I Sully think I like is a lot not, better than you're about to describe. Yes, the other take is if Sully is not real, and Sully is is the manifestation of her um, of her hunger, and she can't keep her hunger at bay, and her hunger is why Chalamet dies, and she eats him, and he's just like, you know, eat me, you're going to, <laughs> you know, like, this, is, yeah. this seems like part of your objective, that's just, that's sad, because, like, her, you know, her lack, essentially, and we all know this person, or many of these people, their lack of emotional regulation gets in the way of your ability to have a healthy relationship with them, that defines a lot of high school relationships, um, yeah. and, and that's not romantic, that's just, inc- that's incredibly sad, because she, like her mother, is going to spend the rest of her life alienating, isolating, pushing away people, getting herself killed, eating off her hands, like whatever. Yeah. That's where it jobs more with addiction to me because it feels like sure there's a version of this that is addiction and Sully is her fear of what she'll become. It's her sure. becoming Sully when she does, you know, kill Sully if he isn't real and kill Lee because she is then fully becoming that lonely drifter that she's afraid of becoming who will forever be by herself who will end up sort of like her mother and i do see that as like oh this generational trauma that was passed down to her and yeah that i was like wow okay that speaks to me more that i get i i i understand that and i understand the fear of that and i found that very interesting much more interesting than if this is just you know you're very r-rated glorified twilight movie you know what i mean i was like once once i wasn't thinking of it from any sort of sexuality you know what i mean that it's not about queerness that it's not about you know chalamet and taylor russell once i was thinking about it from that metaphor for something else it 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 felt much more powerful to me than just love you know well Um, well into into that point about twilight which keeps coming up i feel like bella has it worse than (laughs) than um than our protagonist here because bella 
it, it gets a, essentially a life death sentence. Like she's she is that forever now, and she's going to be with fucking Edward for the boring Edward for the rest of her life. And in this case, you have a great love. You become a part of each other forever, and you don't have, you don't have to be shackled to the lover for the rest of your life, which I feel like is sort of a win for an eighteen year old. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like our our version of Bella in this movie is the guy who is the normie who's not an actual eater. Yeah. Just like I just love hanging out with this. I'm For some reason, I find this endlessly fascinating. <laughs> yeah. He feels like the one who's like, no, we're gonna last forever. And you know what? Eating is the coolest thing. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. well, and and how how interesting is that? Where however you want to see what the parallel is or whatever the themes are, that the the person who is not haunted by the inevitability of how they are is okay with it and the person who is haunted with the inevitability of how they are has to struggle with the burden of being that and and that's why i like that guy a lot is it's like well of course you like it you don't have to do it you're opting into doing it i have to do this exactly yeah yeah and that's why it makes so much more sense for why she can't be around him like once she finds that out she is out of the picture with them yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're like you're doing I, you're doing the thing that tears me apart by choice. Yes, like that's a yes. yeah, it's a fascinating. Yeah. Thing. I thought they were going to come just, back. Me too. And uh, but that's that's the thing that I love. You know, another movie that this reminds me of, and I don't know if either of you've seen it, is The Way We Go. And no. it is it's a great road movie. It was written by Dave Eggers. It's um uh Jim Jim from The Office. What's that guy's name? Uh, John, uh, Krasinski. John Krasinski. John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph. And they realize that they're having a kid and they drive around the country to figure out where they want to land. I remember and that. all of their interactions are like a little similar to the interactions in this movie where like the people are at once fascinating and like kind of entirely unsettling or very sad or extremely haunted by something. It's 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 more beautiful. It doesn't leave you feeling the way that y'all you know, you left feeling this movie. Um, but I but I I like that there are these people that feel so consequential that you're like, they have to come back, but they don't. Because again, from all of my travel, I can think of people who it's like, how is that just a one act person? Like, how is that person who I can remember every detail of that conversation we had and every element of their life how is it that I'm only ever going to have that interaction with them? And I, and I find that very true to like the nomadic nature of, of being alive. Yeah. It's yeah. Putting it, especially for the period that this takes place in where it's like, there is no, yeah, way you're not going to like connect on Instagram. Yeah. Right, they're not going right. to be like <laughs> sliding into each other's DMS. Like whatever ended up <laughs> happening with you and Lee. Yeah. So yeah. Even if you get an address, if they move, you're screwed, you know, like it's, you just yeah. don't know. Yeah. So I want to kind of transition a little bit into um, this idea of changing the genre. So Mm. we've been toying with this for a little while, and we want to kind of play with if you could change one and only one element of the plot, one thing that happens in within the plot to create a different genre, any genre (laughs) other than, I guess, horror, romance, melodrama. Um. What would you change and what genre would it become? I Dylan and I have had an opportunity to think about this. So to avoid putting you on the spot, I'm going to put you. Dylan on the spot and make him go first. And then Thank I'll you. share mine. And if you have one, you can feel free to join. Thank my you. initial thought is, how would I make this a comedy? Because that's where my mind went to. And it's immediately the thought that uh, Marin and Lee cannot stand the sight of blood. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine that they, they have to eat, but they're like, oh, I'm getting... <laughs> 
I'm gonna faint. I can't look at this. <laughs> oh my god, that's very funny. That's good. That's good. I made mine into also a comedy, but I think it's it's a there's like a subgenre of like buddy movie um where the normie comes with them on their trip and they have to teach him all of the ways and how they do things and he asks very annoying questions and they need to sort of educate him and kind of like he's like the little brother tagging along always asking questions and he sniffs out sully coming at the end and saves the day that's very nice could could be could be oh because he's he's finally can do something that they can do that's a great that's a great turn like that would have been a great movie it's a little little fun it's it's almost like rain man meets um (laughs) meets whatever the hell this is yeah yeah exactly this is this is such an interesting and unique question in the context of the fact that this movie is is a competing series of genres at any given time yeah um um and i guess like i would i guess i would be interested in although this kind of would def- would defeat the purpose and all it would do is really eliminate a genre which is like the the That's romance okay. part but just like i would be totally fine with this movie if they were uninterested in each other entirely and they were yeah. just people who ended up meeting and having this thing in common and having to get to know each other sort of begrudgingly along the way um because i will say for for as much as like this is a romance between these two their romantic time takes very little of the screen time. There are huge swaths of time before we meet Chalamet that he's not on screen. There are huge swaths of time after we know Chalamet and he's not on screen. So we could we could get rid of the love and it would it would be it would be doing a much different thing, but it would there would still be a lot of interesting stuff to work through. Yeah. I do to like that, that point idea. also, I, I also think that much as you were talking about, you know, your high school romance feeling very important and kind of ultimately being very inconsequential in your life. Um, I think it's probably safe to say that the romance between the two of them is very surface level. And other than the fact that they obviously understand each other on a very deep level where most people don't, but I think you feel that way about your, your sort of first love, no matter what. Right. And so I think the romance between them probably is relatively inconsequential and, you know, not necessarily, if, if he were to live, they probably wouldn't end up spending the rest of their lives together either way. No, ideally. No. Yeah. I do think that. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Uh, You guys are making me feel so ironically good about the fact that my wife and I've known each other since high school, but didn't start dating until college. And we both have said, if we had started dating in high school, it never works. The curse. Yeah. Um, but boy, I, I really like that idea of them sort of maybe just being begrudging support for each other and like maybe even having conflict with each other, because I do think that could present something interesting, too, because she also feels morally so different about things than he does. And they sort yeah. of like they conflict about it occasionally, but we get past that very quickly for the love for each other, which am I the only one who every time they kissed was like, oh, oh, is this the one where somebody takes a bite out of somebody's lip? You know <laughs> yes. what I mean? Yes. Yes. I was well, watching that. I, that breath. makes total sense and it, it it makes the payoff of what actually does happen even more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like, nope. It's actually gonna be much more harrowing. Yeah, I yeah. I there were several parts where where to, to your point, a lot of their conflict could be born of the fact that he has known they have exactly the opposite experience. He has known his entire life what he is. 
and and was had to be the one to explain to his father sort of what his deal was and then it led to a direct conflict between him and his father whereas she had the exact opposite experience she didn't know her entire life she just found out her father is the one who told her about everything and then there's no conflict because her dad leaves and so you know they have fortunately they have the the opposite attachment traumas <laughs> they can they can uh, theoretically get along better as a result um but but there were a number of times because of that conflict she's new to the whole thing he's seasoned in his way where uh they could have butt heads a lot more there is a there is an incident where he uh he kills a, a carney uh, un, that he lures by way of a, a male carny that he lures sexually. Um, uh, they have sex, and then he kill, he kills the carny, and the conflict comes from the fact that it is revealed that the carny had a family at home, and they took this guy from the family. And so there are all of these points where there could be conflict, but the only way conflict is resolved in this movie is they just don't see each other for long periods of time, yeah. and then come back together, which itself feels like a young relationship where it's like you know you spend the semester away. You see each other Thanksgiving at the bar, um, and then suddenly you're in a relationship again for four days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we also mention he does kill this carny at the most inopportune of times for the carny? Like I was like, he give does, that carny yeah. let him thirty more seconds and then kill him. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's super bummer. Honestly, like that is yeah. the most homophobic thing that happens in the whole movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> I will also say I have one last small change idea. We could change this into an action movie if we give Sully like a roving gang of Mad Max type warriors with him. Because <laughs> Sully, Sully, that's what I thought. That's such a, that is a great recommendation because Sully is from the movie Near Dark. Like he's not actually, but like he, he has this like gritty, almost zany um, uh, he's in. A, he's almost in an entirely different movie, which I think is a thing that like I find interesting about him. I could but, watch like, him with him as the main character for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it feels like he's from like a post-apocalyptic vampire road movie or something, and he would totally have like a Lost Boys like or Near Dark like uh, or Nightbreed like gang of conspirators. Lost Boys is. So, we did Lost Boys on the podcast, and I could so see him replacing like. The nerdy, nice guy. For sure. Who's the, who's the real leader of them? Oh my God, that would totally work. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I love, I love Sully so much. And I can't, and I think Sully is like 90% of the reason this movie stuck with me in a big way is I, I can't, and I can't put my finger on why. Like there, it's, it's a, a, a thousand different choices that are working together really, really well. Um, with him and with his portrayal that again like stuck with me in a way where it's only recently that I encountered the theory that Sully is not real and like that gives a whole other dynamic I like but that I, a lot yeah I do too The port just the portrayal of him he speaks in the third person we never understand why he has an interesting stutter we don't understand why he keeps the ponytails and hair of his victims braided into an eight foot rope, which is the grossest thing I can possibly imagine. We learn at the end that he's killed Chalamet's sister because he has her hair on the rope. Like everything about him um, is fascinating to me. And, and he I has his own like braid too, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> yeah, he has his own his own little ponytail. And so he's always wearing so much flair that he would make Jennifer Anderson from Office Space jealous. <laughs> He is covered in flair for some reason. Like that's just like Sully trademark. That's what Sully do. You know, that's really I love good. It. 
Yeah. He really, and from the moment we see him, we're like, what is happening? Like, why is yeah. it? But, but subtly, like, he, we're introduced to his menace. It unfolds in a really, uh, to me, a fascinating, and it, 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 to the point where he, not the very, not the last scene where, where, uh, spoiler alert, they kill him when he comes to kill, to kill uh, Chalamet, or he comes to, comes to take her, but Chalamet gets killed. But the scene right before where he shows up in the van, his going from like, you know, just a pest to a menace very, very quickly in the dialogue is, sits with me still. Yeah. I honestly, in the beginning, when she first meets him, there's a lot of me that was like, this movie would make sense if she sticks with him, considering her dad just left. And they like, sure. Like, if not for the fact that the poster is Timothy Chalamet and Taylor Russell, knowing that it's going to be the two of them, I could see this being a movie where it's, you know, he teaches her, I've been at this a long time. Like, they learn from each other, that type of thing. And when she leaves him and you just see him seeing her leave, I felt genuinely bad for him. Which yeah, I was like very surprised. That I was like, "Why is this the character I feel for? What does that say about me?" Like, yeah. you know what I mean. But um, so, like, every time Sully talks, you kind of feel bad for him because you do get that he's just lonely, and there's sort of a a snapping of him. Like, even in the very beginning, he's saying, "I don't kill. At least I try not to." He says something along those lines, right. and you're like, "Yeah, this guy's definitely killed people." You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I thought he was going to stick around more, and I will say, I did text Gab because we happened to watch this at the same time separately. And I think I pretty much called exactly what was going to happen. Like, I was like, Sully's coming back. One of these characters isn't making it. This is a tragic love story type thing. Yeah. And obviously that wasn't exact, but I do feel like this is very, you know, you're somewhat standard Romeo and Juliet dressed up with Mm -hmm. a very exotic and interesting twist. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. A lot of the beats are are stuff that you've seen before, but like what is, you know, sort of the the exterior or what it's what it's filled in with. uh, You know, it's 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 bones or things that you've seen before, but the rest of it are (laughs) are it's like an interesting covering or dressage. Yeah. Yeah. What was it, Gab? It's butts and bones you've seen before, but but done differently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But the bones. Very different. Um, well, yeah, Dill, I mean, I think we've all um, really had an opportunity to share our feelings. So before we kind of get to our final verdicts, why don't you uh, share a couple facts? I want the truth! Face the facts, dokes. Facts have no place with an organized religion. Surprising for a recent movie, it was hard to find a lot of like fun trivia facts for this movie. Not just because it's not a very uplifting, fun movie. I do normally just find a lot of fun facts, but we'll start where we normally start, uh, which is our ratings. IMDb gives it a 6.8 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter gives it 82%, an average rating of 7.4 out of 10, 235 fresh reviews, 53 rotten. It's an audience score of 62% with an average score of 3.4 out of 5. Uh, To get into our critics' consensus, although its subject matter may be hard to stomach, Bones and All proves a deeply romantic and thought-provoking treat. So I got a, a couple of reviews I'm going to read here. Uh, I already don't remember which ones are good and which ones are bad, so we'll find out together. <laughs> uh, from Lorshka Ivan Zada from the Metro newspaper, dreamily shot, it's also achingly hip, it hurts. But after two hours and ten minutes <laughs> of slow burn meandering, I was hungry for more meat on these bones. <laughs> I do love, I feel like the lowest combinator of every, like, review snippet you see around tomatoes is like i'm getting a pun in this one you, you know have I mean? to how could you not it's right there <laughs> uh peter travers from abc news a love story about two pretty young cannibals won't strike everyone as an appetizing dish 
but you won't be able to take your eyes off Chalamet and Russell as they try to reconcile romance with killer impulses on a road trip through hell. Richard Roper from the Chicago Sun-Times, before Bones and All reaches its unsurprising, albeit haunting conclusion, we've lost our appetite. And last one here. And I think this one I sort of agree with a lot. Keith Eulich from Slant Magazine, both Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet are sadly at a disadvantage given how many of the older actors gnaw at the scenery like it's a still warm cadaver. Yeah, 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 totally. So the movie had a budget of $16 million. It grossed $15.1 million, but I don't oh. think this was ever made to be like a, a box office smash. I can't believe it had a budget of $16 million. That yeah. is shocking. I'm like, how much of that is Chalamet? Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. How much yeah. of that went to Chalamet? Honestly. And Mark Ryan. Yeah, I would have, if I had to guess, there. I'd say like eight, eight to ten, if even. Yeah. Because like we don't like even the like, and I'm not saying that this is what like the all the effects are kind of subtle and practical, and then there's a there's a a scene with um, amputated hands that's probably digital. I can't even where'd the money go? Chalamet. Honestly. Yeah. I guess maybe uh, Chalamet and Rylance, because I think Rylance as an Academy Award winner can uh can He's a knight, garner a little I bit. think. Is he is he Sir Mark Rylance? I believe so. Or he's wow. like maybe one step but he but he's like in so, he's in some British secret society. <laughs> <laughs> well that makes him sound more menacing in real life. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> uh the movie was directed by Luca Guadagnino, who also directed Call Me By Your Name, We Are Who We Are, and the Suspiria remake. It's written by David uh, Kajganich and Camille DeAngelis, who also wrote The Invasion, True Story, and again, the Suspiria remake. As we mm. said, it stars Tara, Taylor Russell as Marin, who you might know from Escape Room, Waves, or Falling Skies. Timothy Chalamet as Lee, who you might know from Lady Bird, Don't Look Up, or Dune. Or I feel like we mentioned a bunch of Chalamet movies in this one already. And lastly, Mark Rylance as Sully, who you might know from Bridge of Spies, Ready Player One, or the BFG. And I just really want to quickly mention the BFG I read as a child. It is the big friendly giant. And my mom, even as a child, could not stop reading as the big fucking giant. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Had a great time with it. <laughs> of course. Uh, just a couple fun facts we have here. Chloe Savini, which I'm never sure if it's Savini or Savigny or whatever it is, but I'm going to keep saying Chloe Savini. That's good. Uh, Chloe Savini revealed in an interview that when Luca Guadagnino asked her to play a small but pivotal role in the film, she replied, I'll come for you, even if it's one line. When she wow. did get the script, she realized her character only has one actual line. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the movie, after Sully has been killed while Marin is eating Lee, there's a brief shot of the hat Sully was wearing that shows it was a Nostromo crew hat from the movie Alien. I did notice that, and that's so weird. Because also, wow. literally the episode we did before this was Alien and Aliens. Oh, yeah. it's, like, it's so funny because it's like, it's not like it was like an available prop in the eighties that you could get it like a that you could get as sort of a replica. So right. like, is he from the Nostromo? <laughs> I think Mark Rylance ate Tom Skerritt. That's what I think. Happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, my god! We mentioned so cool. the theory about Sully. The, the last thing I have. Oh, two more things before becoming a director. Luca Guadagnino was a successful interior decorator. I the, he had to have been in the visual arts based on everything I've seen of his. That makes total in, sense to me. In one way yeah. or another, having a design eye makes so much sense. And the last one, The Body of Mrs. Harmon, which they gruesomely eat together. Real bummer, yeah. Was made of edible silicone chunks, and the fake blood is made of dark chocolate, fruit roll-ups, 
brownies and maraschino cherries. Look, you said you don't have any fun facts, and that's the funnest fact yeah. I've heard. That's the funnest fact. We're done. The fun is <laughs> wow. done. Wow. That's but, delightful. Uh, you know what? I feel like now if I rewatch it, I'd be like, oh, that's got to taste pretty delicious. Yeah. Mm. Honestly, that'll give you diabetes right there. <laughs> <sighs> all right. And now that we've gone through all the facts, it's time to get to some mail. Mail time. When you control the mail, you control information. Mom asked me to ask you if there's any mail for us here by mistake. What? First, we have an email from, who do you think? Scotty Cameron. Scotty Cam. All right. Subject, alien and aliens. Hey, Dylan and Gab. Great show, as always. I'm glad all three of you agreed that alien movies were both movies to watch before you die because they are masterpieces. I just so happen to have both on DVD as well as Predator. Me too, Scotty. Dylan's right about both films being obvious movies to watch before you die. Ridley Scott's Alien is a masterful sci-fi horror film, and I just love how well the chest rib scene was executed. The true horror of the film was brilliant particularly when the aliens revealed in Ripley's escape pod and she has to do the final girl routine. Then aliens is a masterpiece in competition with T2 as James Cameron's best movie. The funny part is I can definitely see all the Terminator influence in the movie. The colonial Marines have similar weapons to the human resistance in Terminator and the planet. The bulk of the film takes place on resembles the fractured future in Terminator. Cameron, what you really first. Um, Terminator one came out before aliens. I think Terminator one is 84. Mm. I feel like I have to check that now. Terminator 1, 84. Yes. Very good. Okay. Cameron, you really like borrowing from your own movies, don't you? I also love how Bishop is used to contrast Ash from Alien and the revelation that Burke is the true villain trying to keep the xenomorph specimens to continue experimenting on. I will say I wish I had seen Aliens before the video game Aliens Colonial Marines came out because I couldn't but laugh whenever Colonial Marines was said and it made me think of that video game, which was hot trash. I will say, when Dylan said to skip the other Alien movies, I'm like, too late for that. The first film in the franchise I saw was Alien Resurrection because it was on TV. When I saw the Xenomorph, I thought, oh, this must be Alien vs. Predator, because that's the only thing I recognize the design from. Well, Alien vs. Predator and the fan film Batman Dead End, where Batman fights the Predator and a Xenomorph. It wouldn't what? be an episode if we didn't mention Batman. Wow. At the time, I thought the Xenomorph was the Predator because it ate Joker in the 10-minute film, while the Predator had the cool advanced technology, so it must have been the Alien. Then figured out which was which in middle school when I learned that Alien vs. Predator was a crossover between two sci-fi franchises and not a movie like Cowboys and Aliens, which has nothing to do with Alien. So Batman really be sticking his nose in places that don't belong, huh? Well, a lot of DC heroes, I don't know why. I know that I used to have a comic book that was Green Lantern vs. Aliens. And I remember as a kid, I thought it was so freaking cool that it was like Green Lantern comes across a planet and there is just a whole lot of xenomorphs on that planet. And it was like everybody was shitting their pants about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Interesting. Okay. I will just make one correction on the usage of the term bargain bin straight to video disasters. And this actually is my fault for only using the term when talking about Steven Seagal. The Steven Seagal part is only applied when talking about the movies that star Seagal. And when talking about other straight-to-video releases that are trash that don't star Seagal, it's just a bargain bin straight-to-video disasters. Hey, we have stolen this term. We could use it however we damn well please, Scotty. Yeah, I think it's better when they don't star Steven, Steven Seagal, but we're just making a callback to some of his movies that are notoriously as bad. Yeah, Steven Seagal just gives that trashy vibe, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're Again? keeping it. Thanks, Scotty. Yeah, we'll take it from here. <laughs> yeah. 
Again, this is my fault because I'd only ever used the term in relation to this podcast when mentioning Steven Seagal. I will say when Jamie mentioned cheap alien knockoffs on the straight to video market, the first movies that came to mind were the species movies because those were cheap ripoffs. Have you ever heard of the movie Species? No. I've heard of it because I was a young boy and there was a naked lady in it. And I found out that the alien design <laughs> was uh, also designed by H.R. Geiger, the guy who designed the Xenomorph. So I guess it's somewhat less of a total knockoff because it does actually share some actual DNA, I guess. Those movies are trash. Mm. Um, I know the first two mm. species movies were given theatrical releases, while the last two were straight to video releases. All four movies are so terrible that you could fool me into thinking they were all bargain bin straight to video disasters. That's all, folks. In case I don't see you again, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, Scotty. Good night, Scotty. <laughs> I will say Scotty was quite helpful. It, it, it's nice to know that somebody listens to this podcast when it comes out because Scotty and I want to say, was it Vitz? Were the two people who let me know that my hour and 57 minute export for our alien episode had a mistake at the end of it because for some reason my computer just decided not to put James as part of the verdicts out. So it just had us talking to him and him not responding. Oh yes. my God. That yeah. So I had to re-export it and that eventually got it fixed. Now that we got through Scotty's email, we do have a couple comments. First, we have a comment from Barry Manning on one of our shorts. Uh, Barry was... Manilow. <laughs> yes, he is a fan He told me so himself. <laughs> um, he put a comment on our the summary of the two alien movies and said, then Alien 3, which undoes everything for some reason. Then we have a comment from Linola Cola. It feels odd for James to bring the chaos energy to a podcast, but it makes for a yoptastic time. And Alien and Aliens is probably the best one-two punch of sci-fi films. The first film being a fantastic take on the alien on board a spaceship premise slash slasher movie concept. And this, it is very difficult. Like writing premise slash slasher is easy, but to say premise slash slasher feels weird to, to me. Is that just me? No, 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 but it sounds like from Spongebob, the hash-slinging hasher. Yes, <laughs> the, the gas-bringing, <laughs> the bass-fishing, the hash-slinging. <laughs> yes, that was me for a second there. I was like, you can get through it. Yes. Okay. Um, and the second film brings the concept of the Space Marine and the Xenomorphs having a hierarchy to their ranks to a wide audience. And the concepts introduced in Aliens help keep the franchise persisting all these years, especially the Marines, which influenced the likes of Doom and Halo. Ura. P.S., I wish James remembered that Kevin Conroy portrayed Batman in the Arrow versus Crisis on Infinite Earth special. Does that count as a film? We're not counting it because that didn't come out in movie theaters. It was just a live action CW special. Yeah, no. Eh. Gab would not have accepted this. Nice try. No, unacceptable. And then we have one more comment here from Pedro Enrique. Oh, my God. Hi, Pedro. He said, hi, it's me, Pedro. I'm back. Deal with it. We're, we're excited to have you back. We're not dealing with it. It's fine. Um, we'll probably yeah. send an email for a longer message. Well, we're well, dealing with it, but happily. I was going to say, he, he just said he's sending an email, and I'm like, oh, bad news. I might not read it till next week. <laughs> um, I was going to write a bigger <laughs> message, but James just straight up said where he lived. I thought he lived on Big Bus, Oregon. Just broke one of the longest jokes from Jump on the Batwagon. You have to hide this for the other yappy people, Dylan. P.S. Sorry for throwing a bunch of references you don't get, Cap. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Well, the good thing is, I don't think the crossover is that great that people are going to be going to to Oregon to to get at him. All right. Yeah, I certainly won't be. No, I don't think you would go to like Astoria, 
New York to get to James, let alone Astoria, Oregon. True. Very true. Alrighty. Are you ready to get to the verdicts for Bones and All? I am. <laughs> Sorry, I... If you would have just waited a second, I could have muted myself and sneezed. But you did give me an opportunity. So yeah. How about how about them? How about them cannibals? <laughs> do or do not. There is no try. The guilty will be punished. Sentence is death. I love by well, the way, it's very funny. It's objectively hilarious that you're like. Come on to the show with a movie you think is rewatchable or sort of a movie you should watch before you die. And then you have a verdict. It's amazing. I love it so much. Yeah. It's like, we know that you've already made your case, but like, argue it one more time. It's so good. <laughs> well, no matter what, we know you think it's we watch before you die. It's will, will the consensus be? I love, I love that. And this just like conceit wise, this is perfect. So why Which don't you give your feel closing like a statement? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I knew I knew at the beginning, I knew by the looks in your eyes that you're like, we got to break it to this guy that we don't love this movie as much as he does. And I think it's fantastic. I think it's truly as a, dyna- a conversational dynamic goes, it like works so, so, so well. So I really, because like, it makes you be like, oh, I got to make a case. Um, I, I don't have any case outside of... Um, this just works for me especially well and i i would if i knew this is a hard thing to to suggest but it's like if i knew that this if i knew about this movie but didn't see this movie and then realized at the end of my life that i didn't see this movie i feel like i would have been upset on my behalf um it it hits it it in it spoke to and resonated uh, within me for various reasons that I can put my finger on and a lot of reasons I can't put my finger on in a way that I feel like was enriching. And from here forward, I will often be thinking about the way that this movie made me feel and trying to understand why it made me feel that way. I will say, Alex, you saw right through us better than Gab ever has because (laughs) there have been times where I've hated a movie, hated, and I have gone through (laughs) the entire episode up to the verdict and Gab was like, you hated it that whole time. <laughs> I thought so differently. <laughs> I will say, I don't think it's a movie to watch before you die, but God damn it. You know what? Throughout this entire conversation, I've been like, boy, we're making a lot of good points as for why. Yeah, it wasn't like <laughs> deeply entertaining, but it stuck with all of us. And maybe I should say differently. And I wanted to come into this being like, I hated it. This sucks. You're wrong. And I'm like, no, I'm, it doesn't suck. I don't hate it. You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel honored that you that you at least have that tension. You certainly swayed me in a lot of ways during this conversation. Yeah. And I don't think it's Moon Watch before you die, but I do think if you have heard this conversation and found anything we said remotely interesting, you should leap at the opportunity to see this movie. It's on Prime Video, which everyone has through some random family member. You should definitely watch it. Yeah. Alex, I'm going to I'm going to echo what Dylan said, because I came into this thinking I did not enjoy this. I don't I don't see any redeeming qualities. And as we talk through it and as you gave your remarks, I I am almost in a position where I, I feel like and this is sort of the gold standard for me. I would watch this again with my boyfriend, Corey, who mm-hmm. was not home when I watched it. So to to kind of be, to have someone very close to me to talk to about it, to be able to re-experience and have that conversation. And, and I think I would have been swayed by you 
if it weren't for how grotesque it was <laughs> and how much I could not stomach. Like, I don't think, I think when Corey gets home, I'm going to say, listen, I think maybe you should watch it on your own and we could talk about it, but I can't, I don't think I could handle it again. Even watching it through a different lens with Sully not being sure. real and all of those really interesting things. I, I have never seen a movie that has made me feel the way that this movie feels. And for better or for worse, it will be with me forever. But I don't think I could categorize it on the same list as the one that we are creating. Sure. Though... I mean, we said the same thing about Vampire's Kiss and a couple of weeks later, we had to take it back. So who knows where this is going to land? But at this moment on this day, at this time, I, I can't say it, even though we've named some movies like we said the Lost Boys. And you know what? I could probably live the rest of my life and never watch it again. It'd be totally fine. I, I if it makes you feel any better and I, you have nothing to feel better. But if it, if it just a thing to relate to you on. Again, I've seen this movie five or six times since I have not rewatched several of the gory scenes knowing that they're coming since because I again like I'm a I when I was a kid I wanted to go into horror practical effects I was so taken with them and I find some of the scenes in this movie so deeply quote real and unsettling I can't look at them because I'll be thinking I'll be having empathetic pain um mm -hmm. by, by watching yeah. them so yeah, yeah I, I feel that that makes sense now we know 100%. it's cherries and fruit roll-ups and stuff. So that makes us all feel better. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing this movie with us. I mean, whether we are adding it to the list or not, it was truly one that will stick with us. Well, thank Alex, you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. And we want to give you a moment to, to what's the saying I'm looking for here? Plug. Have your Have your flowers to plug. Yeah. <laughs> Tell the people where they can find you. Have your flowers. I, I have a show called... <laughs> I have a show called You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies that I host with my great friend Sarah Marshall. Um, we review movies not through a critical lens, but through a lens of what feelings it evokes. And then we talk about that and the movies themselves. So, uh, so yeah, if you want to have sideways conversations about movies, we're here for you. I love that. That's awesome. Big thanks to Alex. You should definitely listen to You Are Good because I've been loving the episodes lately. And Gab, why don't you tell the people where they can find us? Well, Dylan, people can find us wherever the hell they're listening to us right now. So if you found us, congratulations. Keep doing what you're doing. We're going to be here. We're going to stay here. Otherwise, you can find us on all your favorite podcast places. You can find us on YouTube. Oh, boy. You, you can, can find, find us, us on YouTube. Nesquik and YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> And all exactly your favorite chocolate thinking. drinks. Exactly. All your your favorite. <laughs> Dylan, <laughs> what's happening to you? I'm done. I'm done. You do it. So if you check the link tree below in the description, you can find us on any podcast platform you prefer. So if you're watching us on YouTube and you're like, hey, I want to find them on Google Podcasts, it'll take you right there. Not only that, we're also a member of the Hall of Pods podcasting network. So if you want, you can click in that link tree link below and you can find us and all of our podcasting friends. So in addition to that, I would also say you should send us a voicemail at WhereGap. Oh, boy. Uh, Anchor.fm slash movies to watch. Or you can send us an email at WhereGap. Movies to watch before you die at gmail.com. I feel like I should start giving you multiple choice. You look so puzzled. <laughs> um, yeah, do do those things. Subscribe to us on YouTube or send, a, send in a comment. Uh, let us an know email. if you like what we're saying. Let us know if you want us to do more things like asking how we should change the genre of the movie, which I thought went fantastically well this episode. Thank you. So did I. 
We should. Uh, we should. You know what? Don't tell me what you think, because we're going to keep doing it either way. We're doing it. It's staying. Dylan, make the theme music. I thought I was the only one. Are there lots of us? Not lots, but more, more than you'd think. You've met a few, sure, that you know of. You never had anyone take a interest in you, a double, double, a double, a double take. <laughs>